is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. I'm super excited today. We've got someone from SeaWorld, which I have been to both in Florida and California with kids, without kids. I love being able to interact with and support the, um, what am I looking for here? The support, the cause of being able to, to preserve ocean Just life. Have a great right have a great time and be yeah. inspired about the seas love it and so we've got chris gould today christopher gould if we're doing formal introductions who is the vice president of in park revenue at SeaWorld, and i am so excited to talk to you thank you so much for being here thank you for having me shandy yeah no i think this is great so You've spent your entire career in hospitality, right? Starting out in hotels and operations well, no, and whatnot. No, not entirely. So no? most of it, but uh, I took a little break in the middle uh, to work in real estate development uh, for historic properties. All right. Which uh, has a lot in common, but uh, wasn't explicitly, you know, taking care of people in parks or restaurants or hotels. Fair enough. All right. I rephrase. You've spent most of your career in hospitality. Right. <laughs> we'll jump into, re- into real estate too, but tell me why you love hospitality, operations, attractions, what it is that you do. Well, I think it, my mother would say it's because I have a short attention span. <laughs> uh, the, the, the business is complex. Uh, it changes every day. And, you know, that's what excites me about it because it's, uh, you know, you have to be, uh, you know, understand what dishwashers need in a restaurant, as well as your VIP guests that are that are coming through the door of a hotel or a theme park or a zoo uh, or a restaurant. Uh, that's what excites me is uh, taking care of people kind of in your house, so to speak, uh, giving them memories, feeding them, taking care of them. Uh, and if there's a way to do it, and align with other stuff that I care about very much, like conservation and animals, then so much Conservation, the that's the word I was trying to get to that I couldn't find, huh? Uh-huh, yes. That's the right word. I don't know where right. that disappeared to off into my brain. So you, you did spend a lot of time in hotel operations, which in the same way as attractions has kind of a lot of moving parts, right? Right. Which obviously you enjoy, maybe a little bit of ADD like me, lots of things mm-hmm. going on in your day. But why right. the shift between hotels, and I'll throw real estate in here just for fun because you brought it up, over to attractions and parks? Well, uh, it, was a, it was an inspired recruiter that called me, and I thought he was crazy first time he called and said, hey, there's a, there's a zoo and conference center in Miami that needs uh, a managing director. And I thought of you and I thought, well, why? And then, you know, he, he explained it as it's an administrative position over a complex business operation. And uh, it, he said that the, the, the biggest talent pool that they can look at would be full service hotel general managers. And uh, ideally they were looking for full service general managers in the luxury segment who'd done something else. And in my case, it was that real estate development experience that gave me just kind of a different edge uh, over someone who'd come up classically in hotels. Uh, And he just, he said, what do you know about cooking pastry? And I said, well, not much. And he goes, you have great pastry at your hotel, right? I said, yes. He goes, don't worry. He's got good animal people to take care of the animals. And, And with that, I was in. 
So what made you, you've stayed in kind of animal land for a bit, right? Well, what is it, what is it that you like about that? Well, I, you know, it scratches another itch. I love taking care of people. I love, uh, you know, watching people have a good time, have a special occasion, do something that's going to create family memories. Uh, and you do that in hotels, but you certainly do that you know, in attractions and uh, zoos. And uh, I've always been a wildlife enthusiast. I've always been interested in science, uh, always went to the zoo. And it was just, it just pushed a lot of my buttons. And uh, I found that my skill set aligned very well with the job of being a, a zoo director. And uh, it makes me happy to, to go in and, and, you know, kind of add to the equation in what is a much smaller industry than hotels, because yeah. I think I've heard there's like 40,000 hotels in North America. And there's uh, just over 200 accredited zoos and aquariums in North America. So the scale is quite, quite different. And then, you know, once you're in, uh, unless you immediately go in and didn't like it, I think you'd probably never want to do anything else. Yeah, I think it's such a cool thing. What does the kind of day to day look like? Do you have the opportunity to go hang out with animals every day? Oh, yeah, absolutely. so it's, it's, you, you have, uh, you know, I have a great, uh, uh, team uh, of direct reports as a, as a zoo director. And then, you know, I should kind of tie this to what I'm doing at, at, at SeaWorld now, uh, my role of, uh, being the vice president of in-park revenue means that I'm in charge of kind of the revenue strategy for the California parks, which is SeaWorld San Diego and Aquatica, a water park, uh, near San Diego. It's uh, currently under construction to become a Sesame Place theme park. Oh, uh, cool. Aligned with the Sesame Street uh, brand, which is really exciting. Uh, And in that role, I directly oversee the operations of all of our food and beverage, uh, our retail and uh, ancillary operations. So games, arcades, gift shops, Mm-hmm. restaurants, bars, uh, and, and those types of things. The, the, Does, it's the first job in a while where I haven't been kind of the top person uh, at the place, but you know, SeaWorld was for me uh, a pretty big uh, increase in scale. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm happy to have the extra bandwidth uh, to, you know, to execute that job. So does the in-park revenue also include kind of the um, interactions that you can do kind of the behind the scenes things that you yes, can do? Yeah. So yeah, in terms of the strategy on what, on what we do and, you know, having the zoo director hat in my background is really helpful for kind of understanding, you know, what experiences are going to connect with people and motivate them to act differently, you know, for the good of wildlife and also what's appropriate uh, to do with animals and human care. Uh, so that's a, that's a, uh, you know, it, it's, not as as big in terms of dollars anywhere near you know the food and beverage oh, and, sure. and, and yeah. retail but in terms but it's actually number one kind of in the brand values yeah. uh, for sea world yeah i think that's amazing i've done a couple of the behind the scenes things there and it's just the amount that you can learn is just so cool you know yeah it's it, uh, it, it's, it's fun but i think uh, super fun before i i diverged you asked me like what's my day like yeah. And, you know, the 
I have a, you know, a number of set kind of meetings and or things that I do during the week, working with my team of uh, leaders that cover, uh, you know, different aspects of the, of the operation. As a zoo director, that includes like your head of animal care, uh, security, engineering and maintenance, food and beverage, uh, education, you know, those types of things. So kind of under, you're you're like the ringmaster of kind of what all that's going on, what you're doing to kind of advance uh, the ball uh, in each of those areas, uh, coaching them and, uh, you know, kind of inspiring the team to do better things, to adapt to what our visitors are telling us, to adapt to, uh, you know, all types of things. And in and, and food and beverage, it's to what do your guests want to eat? Uh, uh, you know, those types of things. Uh, so it's a, you know, kind of keeping a rigorous schedule of those brief but effective meetings with the direct reports, small group meetings, and then getting out and experiencing the operation from the guest perspective, uh, inspecting the operation, um, eating the food, watching what your customers are doing. Uh, that's endlessly inspiring and diverse. So it's when not, uh, I don't wear a suit anymore. <laughs> when you first came on board at SeaWorld, did you kind of spend a couple of days before anybody knew who you were in the park and, and experience well, from I, a guest perspective? Before I was uh, hired, I did. I was invited to uh, experience the park uh, kind of incognito and, you know, make a, a record of my observations. And mm -hmm. uh, I did that and it was great. Um, I was especially excited at SeaWorld San Diego you know, SeaWorld Entertainment, the parent company uh, that operates the park, now encompasses 12 parks. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, three of which in the U.S. have the SeaWorld name, uh, but and now there's one under construction in Abu Dhabi. Uh, SeaWorld uh, includes the Busch Gardens parks, uh, as, as well as water parks and Sesame Place. But San Diego is the birthplace of the brand. Uh, San Diego... Uh, SeaWorld San Diego was the first SeaWorld opening in 1964. Uh, and it was really interesting to go and visit, you know, still under the COVID restrictions, but see, you know, this incredible legacy and something that uh, Southern Californians really have a strong emotional attachment to. And that's what, that's what really impressed me was uh, I, I accidentally went in a little bit overdressed, like wearing a button-down shirt and slacks, and people kept thinking I worked there and asking me questions, which was a great way to engage with them. Say, hey, what brings you here? Where are you from? What do you like? And most of them were saying, you know, thank God SeaWorld is back open. I've been coming here my whole life. And, you know, that's a that's a very special responsibility to be to, to be entrusted with part of that legacy. I love it. So, so there's definitely a loyal fan base. What do you wish people knew, or what do you think that people don't appreciate as much about the conservationism and the the very pro animal, um, you know, try to save things approach? Well, I don't, I don't know that they don't uh, appreciate it. It's just that we do many things, and and one of those things that's evolved over the years uh, is uh, showing how we're entwined with animals and the, you know, kind of a, the ecology of the world and that our actions can impact animals and wild habitats. It can work to safeguard their habitats, to 
hopefully slow climate change. So we work those things into the experiences uh, where you'll see animals at SeaWorld. So we have different presentations. The orca encounter is probably the signature uh, feature of SeaWorld where we, we have uh, orcas. Uh, we talk about uh, you know, their habitat and their natural behaviors. Uh, but it gets down to you know, you know a lot of the different rescued animals that we have. Talking about you know why they're here, uh, exhibits that highlight the whole SeaWorld rescue uh, mission, where you know we've rescued over thirty-eight thousand animals, and uh, our SeaWorld in San Diego is special because it's the only SeaWorld that's right on the sea. We're on Mission Bay. Uh, in San Diego, opening up to the Pacific Ocean, and we have a marina on property. And there are boats where they get a call, and our rescue team rushes to the boats, like the fire department, and zooms off into the ocean to save uh, a sea lion or an entrapped uh, gray whale or a humpback whale. Uh, these are the types of things that they do, uh, you know, all the time. Uh, we we have. Uh, Places, you know, at the park where we rehabilitate animals and then uh, return them uh, to their natural habitat when they're ready to uh, uh, to fend for themselves and they're recovered from injuries in a lot of cases. Um, and that's really an exciting part of, of the mission. Uh, and uh, soon I've been invited. I have not gone on one of the return trips uh, but usually every couple of weeks, uh, they're going off into natural uh, California coastal habitats and releasing uh, animals that have recovered from being injured in the wild. I love it. I think it's so cool. So being relatively new so far, what's your favorite attraction at the park? Well, uh, in addition to just being around, you know, these incredible animals, uh, it's, you know, my first time really dealing with a big roller coaster. Uh, park and so the the manta roller coaster is my favorite one uh, and I got to do one of my theme park fantasies which was I got to get on the roller coaster take it for a spin and then when we got back into the station just look at the operator and just kind of twirl my finger and say let's go again let's go again <laughs> you are big time now and I like it yeah, I think that's, that's, so that's cool. right what's the best hidden secret the thing people don't know about that they can do that they should do well, uh, I mean, one of the one of the big things that uh, people don't realize is that yes, we are on the water, and that we do have uh, kind of some quiet spots in the park uh, that we use to host events that overlook the water, uh, that are really kind of special places. If you want to just step out of a crowd and sit down and enjoy a beer or a glass of wine and you know watch the sunset uh, over the water, uh, you can do that in some of our places. And that's, that's, you know, we're, we're talking about animals and great things to eat and roller coasters and things like that. But uh, some of the quiet places on the bay that we have are really special and among my favorite places. What's your favorite animal there? Ooh, well, I, I, I'd have to say the emperor penguins. <laughs> Why? They're, they're just incredible animals. Uh, we have a staggeringly expensive uh antarctic habitat for them uh and you know they're they are the largest species of penguin in the world and they're just you know so impressive and to watch them you know caring for their young uh is is 
really inspiring, but they're just, I don't know, they're, they're three and a half, four feet tall. Uh, just incredible. Um, and right now the cycle that they're in is uh, it's the austral winter. So in the habitat, the lights are kind of out because uh, in Antarctica, you know, the sun sets for like three months <laughs> and that's where they are now. That's so Our funny. Team blows fresh snow and ice for them every morning. It's uh, therein lies the staggering expenses. That's I right. think. <laughs> that's right. But it's 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 very special. It's one of the only places in the world where you can see them, and there's some really interesting research being done about their behavior that's helping them in the wild. That's really cool. I want to shift over to the leadership aspect. So you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, the the things that you like are not just helping people, but you know, leading these, you know, big, huge teams. And anytime you've got a hotel or an attraction, you've got such varied professions um, of your team members. How do you make sure that you're successful at kind of supporting all these different roles and giving them the things that they need? Well, uh, I like to have, you know, just the right amount of meetings and to have the right habits that can make us both be successful, uh, which is to, to plan, uh, to kind of review the data and see where we are, but still be open to, you know, unexpected change and, and, and considering, do we need to change the plan while it's in motion? Um, and I, I like to approach this, you know, very strongly as a coach. Um, I'm, I'm hyper excited about finding the best talent. I always pray that I find people that are smarter and harder working than me, uh, and that I can do something to make them realize their full potential. Uh, and, you know, some cases you do find people that have extraordinary, uh, abilities. Uh, but I, you know, I remind myself that, you know, that, uh, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, most people think, but he always had a coach, you know, a coach who couldn't play basketball as well as Michael Jordan, but helped Michael Jordan play better basketball. And that's what I see, you know, when I'm working with my, my team. Um, and then, you know, I like to approach those things that I may not have expertise in, such as, you know, the nutritional needs of a beluga whale, not an expert. But, you know, I've learned over the, you know, the years that I do have a skill set for solving problems, for developing plans, for listening to input from expert people, and then suggesting a different approach that might be more successful. I've done that with veterinary teams, with restaurant operators. Uh, I call it kind of the smart, dumb guy approach. I may be totally <laughs> ignorant about your specialty and I'll never pretend to know what you know, but you know, odds are, if we, if we talk about your problems, I can help you yeah. solve the problem or do better in your area. How do you interview people? What's the thing that you're looking for to find the you know, smarter, better, faster than you, but coachable? Well, I, you know, there's, there's all different types of techniques for doing you know, in-depth interviews and for people to kind of to break down the facade and reach the real person. Uh, so many of them based on you know, their, their experience and how they talk about how they got to where they were. Um, and I, I do believe in you know, multiple interviews. Uh, 
I bring in peers often to interview them separately and then with me because that often illuminates you know, my blind spots. Uh, so I devote a lot of time to it because I, I, I want to get it right. Uh, and then even, you know, for important direct report roles, I'll even throw in a social aspect of it where we're going to go have a meal together mm -hmm. just to kind of see how they operate in that environment. That's very important to me. But I will say with all of those in-depth things that I do and getting outside perspectives in hospitality, sometimes you also need to be ruthlessly superficial. Uh, for people that deal with guests, it is a superficial relationship. Now, I want all their depths and experience as well. But if they fail superficially, then I almost can't help them. So I, I learned that back in the 2008, like when the economy went bad and I was opening up a new hotel and we were we had a job fair to hire. I think it was like 120 people. Uh, and because the economy wasn't so great, we had over a thousand people show up at the event. And wow. I only had, including myself, six managers to interview them. So I quickly just huddled with everybody and said, look, we're not going to interview anybody today, but we're going to do a really a rapid screening. We're going to spend a minute with every person. And for 30 seconds, I want you just to see, can you connect with them on a human level? Eye contact, have a human conversation maybe glance at the resume, chat a little bit. And we ended up just for the different positions, we had two bins. And one bin was for the people that we couldn't connect to superficially. And it really wasn't worth our time to pursue that. Um, and you know, that's something that's just been proven time again. Uh, you know, Sometimes I've fallen in love with people on the phone or with their resume. And I remember I flew somebody in, you know, for a job interview, like 20 years ago at a hotel. I was so excited. And the minute I met them, I knew I was thinking, how long do I need to interview them before it's embarrassing? <laughs> I've had that happen before. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I think it's also important to say to get other perspectives, uh, to make sure that you're not, you know, that there's not, uh, you know, any kind of unintentional bias, uh, make sure you're getting a good range of candidates, but that human connection, you you can tell right away. Yeah, it's so crazy, right? For a role like this, where you're coming in with an established team, how do you make that connection with the people that you have um, to make sure that it's you know almost as though you hired them and it's your team? Well, uh, it's to have those introductory meetings with them, to listen to their challenges and to take careful note of them. And, you know, especially early on, you know, I, I had, you know, a, uh, a strategic mandate, you know, from corporate and from the president of, of SeaWorld California Parks. Here's what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes maybe uh, one of my leadership team would have something that wasn't necessarily critical to those five big points that I'm supposed to accomplish, but I'm not gonna get there unless I engage and win the trust of that person. So if there's something that's important to them, then it's deeply symbolic for me to accomplish, to get a win for them. And I've, I've focused on, you know, getting a couple of wins, kind of dealing with pet peeves of the leadership team so that they can say, all right, you know, he is capable of doing things. He did hear me. 
And sometimes it's just a passing comment rather than a formal meeting. So I'll have those formal meetings, never more than an hour. And usually, you know, the longer we get into it, we end up walking. We'll walk and talk. We'll go look at one of the areas and then start layering in, you know, a kind of an inspection of some area that they're involved in. And it's just for us to walk through and talk about how can we be better? What are the challenges? It's just to be, you know, part of that team inspiring and and holding accountable if necessary uh, that we're moving the uh, moving the ball forward. Um, SeaWorld's a little different than places I've worked before, which are either privately held or you know, nonprofits. Uh, in the case of SeaWorld, we're a publicly traded company. So that's a very kind of sacred trust to the uh, to the shareholders that we need to deliver value to them. Yeah, no doubt. So I always like to ask advice. So here we find ourselves in the advice section of the day. <laughs> right. It's become kind of a thing. Uh, so you really enjoy hospitality operations. I'm sure that you get on a relatively regular basis, just by human nature, the chance to help people who have maybe had some kind of negative experience, turn that into a positive. How do you, uh, how do you coach your team or what advice would you give to other hospitality people on turning those experiences from a frowny face to a smiley face? It's, it's, it's just a few habits, but it, it's, it, you have to go counter to, I think, human nature to successfully accomplish it. So if we put it into the context of a, of a complaint from a guest, uh, the first thing that I believe fundamentally is you must listen. You can't interrupt them. You have to let them get it out because if you interrupt them, especially if there's some passion behind it, they may start all the way over. Uh, and then, you know, I'll, if it's possible, I'll try to take notes to let them know that I take it seriously and I'm getting the points. The, the second thing, once you've heard them is to say, I heard you and I'm terribly sorry that this happened because this is not what we this is not the experience that we aspire to. And I'm going to do whatever I can to either make it right, or if it's something that can't be made right, I would like to make a gesture that lets you know that we get it and that we appreciate your feedback that we'll use to do better in the future. I like you have it. to shut up and listen, and you have to own it. And it's very, very, very seldom that you would ever kind of offer a counterpoint uh, because the guest experience is their reality. You may say, well, factually, you know, that's this, that, or the other. If it's in their brain, it's real. So, you know, don't fight it. So in all the places that you've worked and don't tell me where this particular story comes from, what's the most egregious, unfactual uh, customer complaint that you've run up against that you still talk about? Like what's your dinner party oh. story? Well, I've got a lot of pot party stories, mostly due to outrageous behavior. But if it comes to a complaint, <laughs> this, it's it's a pattern. And well, this I'll take is outrageous any, behavior too. Well, I'm sworn to secrecy <laughs> on those, but uh, there's a pattern of complaint that I received over the years. You get two or three of them a year, and it would be the allegation of theft against mm -hmm. a hotel housekeeper. And I've listened to these for years and you have to take it very seriously. Like I said, yeah. you have to listen, you can't interrupt them. You have to take notes. 
you always want to let them see your empathy and that you take matters like this very, very seriously. That said, human memory is a very fallible thing. Uh, and I have never in my life been uh, seen a case where a hotel housekeeper actually stole anything from a guest ever. Going to be my next ever. question. Yeah. Never happened in my experience. Uh, and oftentimes you would get, a, I, I remember one time I said that it was, it was so big. I had to like take them back into my office. It was a $17,000 necklace. I know who stole it. They were in the room, all these days. So 45 minutes of listening to this. And then they're kind of angrily walking out of the lobby. They come right back. At least they came back. They come right back in and say, oh, it was in my glove compartment. <laughs> so many yeah. things like that. Uh, I've had hotel housekeepers bring me uh, suitcases full of cash, guns. Oh, my gosh. Uh, priceless jewels found in hotel rooms. So uh, that, that's just an interesting aside is that it, and when I lose stuff, I'm always like, oh, God, you know, I, I probably don't remember where I left it. Uh, and in fact, I just went through it. I thought that uh, baggage handlers must have stolen this tool out of that I put in my suitcase. And I actually finally, after a couple of weeks, I bought a new tool. And then as soon as I was using it, I opened up a little box at home and I'm like, oh, there it is. There it it is. wasn't stolen. I didn't yeah. report it because I didn't trust my memory. Can we go back to the housekeepers bringing you suitcases full of cash? Like, what is it that, sure. that or guns or jewels or whatever? What is it that triggers the like taking something out of the room to bring to you because it is of concern? Oh, it's because the guest has departed. Ah, okay. It's it's lost and found. Gotcha. So I lost was, and I was found picturing a, like somebody cleaning the room and going, oh my God, like we no, gotta call no. the cops. No, they might make a report if there was something obviously illegal. That's not common, but people leave behind the most unbelievable things in, in rooms. That's um, crazy. But I will say the lost and found department in a uh, theme park is pretty busy as well. <laughs> I would imagine it's, that's true. <laughs> it's usually, you know, baby toys, sunglasses, hats. Left socks. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Never the right the one. Odd sock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always the left. Unheard of. I love it. So fun. The things that like the stories that you must be able to tell, like when the recordings are off and there's a cocktail or two. So fun. <laughs> so tell everybody how they can connect with you and with SeaWorld online. Well, uh, you can visit, uh, get information about visiting our parks at SeaWorld.com. Uh, I'm based out of SeaWorld San Diego, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn. My, my, my profile is uh, public, and I'm always interested in connecting with interesting and smart people in and, and all aspects of the hospitality industry. Uh, I've got a big network, and uh, I love helping people, and I love it when people help me. Perfect. So then that brings us, I'm going to help you, you know, with my favorite little torture game here of two truths and a lie. So it's how we wrap up all of our episodes. So you're going to give us three facts about yourself. One of which is, you know, not a fact and don't tell us what the answer is. Dear listener, if you want to know what the answer is, you're going to have to come talk to us in social media or on your favorite podcast platform in the comments. Okay. So here are three things about me. One of which is a lie. Um, I'm writing a book about 
an eccentric British nobleman who collected animals for the London Zoo back in the 1930s. Uh, two, I have a degree in hospitality management. And three, I have been an, a roadie for heavy metal and hip hop bands. I have no idea. One of those is not true. Yeah, I have a guess, but I'm not going to venture it at the moment. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation and I am truly appreciative. Thank you for that. And then listeners, thank you so much for sticking around. As always, this has been the Shandyland podcast and we will talk to you soon.